We're in, wrapping up today our Heart Check campaign in which we're really reaching out and giving uh, an abundance of money. $1.1 million we want to give away to, uh, to ministries all around the world and then 400000 in this area that we want to be able to do to take care of the properties and things like that. And what a privilege it is to, to be walking in ministry for such a time as this. The world is dark, but we are filled with the light of Christ. I want to give you an update on how it's going with Heart Check. It is uh, amazing so far. Uh, uh, 184, 184 people have made pledges so far, uh, which is uh, lower than we usually have by the end. So we have a few more weeks to be able to do that. This is We're off to a really good start with $587,000 already pledged. And so thank you for your generosity and your excitement in this. It is, we're off to a phenomenal start. So, uh, <laughs> full confession, confession, I thought, only 184 so far. And I was like, well, I haven't even put my pledge in yet either. And so our family even failed in that. So uh, it is just a, an incredibly different time. We don't have a pledge card in front of us. We sent them to you, but it's so different. Most of you gave online so far. And so many of us still have a chance to jump in this week and in the weeks to come as it starts January 1. And so thank you for your um, just launched... Uh, and incredible generosity. One of the neat uh, and exciting surprises along the way so far has been also, um, I ran into Jay and Kim Bradway. Jay oversees our Southtown's ministry so far or right now, and he's been doing a phenomenal job. And uh, he was saying, uh, volunteerism is um, spiking right now. He's seen, um, with Heart Check, many of you have signed up and said, I'm very serious about, I don't want to just write a check to these ministries. I want to get involved. And so it's been wonderful to hear these really tangible stories of you saying, I want to be all in. I love what we're doing to reach out to the world in this way. So today what I want to do is bring us to the big picture of, in some ways, what Heart Check is all about. To do this, I want to use a metaphor. Uh, well, Thanksgiving is coming, Christmas is coming, and the holidays are maybe going to look a little differently than they have in the past. So I thought it'd be good to use this table as a feast example. You realize when we get to heaven, the very first thing we're going to do is feast at the wedding banquet of, the, of the, the, the Lamb's Supper table and to enjoy the celebration with Jesus Christ as the victorious one. And so there's something powerful about gathering around the dinner table. And these, uh, we're going to go and look at five different chairs, and these five chairs represent the five different ministries that we reach out to and connect with, and the types of people we are to connect with in ministry. And so I want to start with this first one. This first one, this chair really represents in many ways, as you look at it really being a clear chair, this represents one group of people that we as a congregation reach. And these are seekers who are not yet believers. We have this as a clear chair because when you meet a seeker, it's very clear. They are longing to connect with God. They're searching. They're asking deep questions. What I love about this church is that we're not afraid of the deep and profound questions because we know that God is not afraid of our deep and profound questions. And so seekers are just so clearly passionate to say, I want to find truth. And I want to discover what is real, what is alive in this, in this place, and who is God. And so as we think about this, in scripture, there's all sorts of examples of God saying, it's good to be in the midst of people who yet don't believe. And I know some people disagree with this, but church should have many people within its walls who don't believe. 
And you may say, wait a minute, isn't the church supposed to be believers who worship? Like the worshiping that we were just doing right now, isn't that supposed to be believers? How can an unbeliever worship? Well, in the early church, in 1 Corinthians 14, we see the Apostle Paul actually give tons of instruction for how to worship. And he then said these words, as the unbelievers are in your midst, they're going to praise God and say, wow, God is truly here in your midst. And so even in the early church, Paul expected that the fire that we experience of praising, I mean, I, just as we were worshiping right now, it was so clear. You just feel the presence of God. And if you're not a believer, it's incredible to look around and say, wait a minute, I want what they've got. There's something about the passion within the people around me right now that I want to I keep finding. And this is what's great. Jesus says, seek and you'll find. The reason we're not afraid of tough questions around here is because we believe that when you really ask questions and you seek, you will find. And so we're not afraid because truth is going to rise to the surface. So keep seeking. If this chair represents your life, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so grateful that you're willing to say, this is a, a place that I want to I give a shot with my life to say, I want to be a part of something that a, a group of people who can teach me and train me in the ways of God. I hope you will trust us to care for your journey in discovering truth in this world. Because we know that Jesus, in, as I've discovered Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm telling you, it's the game changer for the reason that, that I'm living the life that I'm living today. And so I am so grateful for the fact that we are in a church that is not afraid to ask the tough questions and be willing to let people seek. There, there's a second chair of groups of, uh, group of people that we reach. These are, as you see a kitty chair here, these are new, new Christ followers. These are people who are brand new to the faith and they're, they're somewhat immature. They haven't yet grown dramatically yet. And they're, they're filled with curiosity and discovery. They, they want to learn a lot. It's, uh, this is a very incredible part of the church. We should have at least a third, maybe uh, more of our people who are brand new to the faith saying, I'm jumping in, I want to grow, I want to discover and learn and, and, and discover who Jesus is. In scripture, definitely we see evidence of this where, like for example in 1 Timothy, we see where the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, don't let new believers just jump into leadership. Train them up. We need to be a people who are strategic in how we train and develop people. I want to read this to you as well. This is from 1 Peter 2. As Peter says this, like newborn babies, they crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now what this is describing here is Paul describing, as we call it around here, the spiritual growth stages where there's a season where you just, well, you act spiritually immature. This can be messy for a church because when you have new believers, they ask really complicated things. And sometimes they bring unhealthy theology into the church. 
Sometimes they still keep maybe some very immoral business practices from time to time because they haven't yet grown in their faith to understand, wait a minute, Jesus should penetrate all of my behavior, not just save me for heaven. And these people go through a time of, well, they can be messy where they, they get swayed by culture and can bring some really some complicated thoughts into conversation. They can act like, well, kids act. Sometimes, you know, you ask for them to help with chores and they complain about it and you get kind of grumpy. And, and this is really obvious. The, the new believer has some times of immaturity. Now, I'm not going to name names, but there's probably some of us who are here and just maybe a little bit immature in our faith yet. And that's okay. Uh, we've talked before that like an apple is even, let's say, in May. I tell you, let's go out to the apple orchard and eat the apple. <laughs> you would be like, no way. I'm not going to touch an apple in May. I want to eat an apple in October when they come into the, the, the fullness. Well, an apple in May is just as much an apple. And in fact, if you don't have the apple in May, you're never going to have the incredible rich taste of the apple in October. And so every stage is vitally important. The season of questioning, discovering, seeking who is God. The season of being a child in the faith. Drinking just of the milk. But the Apostle Paul tells us, grow up and eat the meat of your faith and, and to grow. And I, I, I just love how then we come to this third stage. This is a wooden chair and more of a staunch, solid chair. You think of it more mature. You see these kind of tables and, and chairs this way. This chair represents, well, the obvious next one, the mature Christ follower. I hope our church is loaded with mature Christ followers. We need all these different types. And the mature follower, listen to this, as John describes what the, how you grow in your maturity. You may not see it directly, but let me explain what I mean as I read the, this verse. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. I am writing to you, says John, who are mature. So he clearly understands there are groups of people in different stages of their development spiritually. I'm writing this sentence to those of you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ. You have become a deep and profound believer. You know Christ who existed from the beginning. But notice how he describes from this spot to this spot. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Uh, what did we just see here? Well, mature believers, they just, they know who they are. Their identity is solid in Christ. He has saved me. I'm different. I'm mature. I'm growing deeply in my walk with God. But notice what he says about the young. I'm writing to you who are young. He's saying, you are overcoming the enemy. What is he saying there? How do you get from that chair to this chair? From childlike to mature? Resistance. The enemy comes at us. Temptation comes at us. I mean, how do you build muscle? You build muscle by weight training, by having resistance. You have something that is heavy and you fight against it and you lift it. 
That makes you stronger. The resistance builds you up and moves you to a place of, of really, as we've talked about around here, wholeness. All of your life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. Your identity is alive in him. I think about when Jesus said these words, he describes uh, this um, incredible image. Well, I'll, I'll come to it in a second. When I, when I think about the image of moving in, in full maturity and fighting the, the temptation to push against evil, that resistance, those times when you realize life is so tough, I mean, I just, don't you just sometimes wish God would just say, okay, you're mature. I wish that. But you can't expect a three-year-old physically to act like a 30-year-old. Physically, we understand you have to go through seasons of growth. Now, I know that you can find Jesus immediately. I know that you can experience the, the, in, the incredible grace and forgiveness of Jesus that makes you feel mature. But what he's saying is when the enemy comes at you, he's going to bring resistance into your life. And you won't know who you are until you go through tough times. I think about how just the, the growth experience of what does it mean to be, well, filled with the Holy Spirit. Or many of you have maybe heard about the fruit of the Spirit. I've heard people say many times, well, I just want all of the fruits of the Spirit right now. Well, first and foremost, there are not many fruits. It's actually in Galatians 5, one fruit. There's no such thing as the fruits of the Spirit. What, the, uh, what we're learning in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, there's one fruit. There's love, joy. It's one big juicy fruit. <laughs> not, not gum, I mean, but like huge piece of fruit. And he says, when you sit at the mature seat here, he's saying, I'm going to fill you with the fruit. You'll know that you're mature because of the fruit that comes out of you. Love, joy, peace. Patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, gentleness, self-control, all of these. Because I hear people say, well, I, uh, I want a lot of patience. Give it to me now. But how do you get patience? Well, you've got to have some resistance. And until you have times to be tempted to be uh, impatient, you won't know that you actually are patient. I've heard people say, well, I'm filled with all sorts of love and joy and peace and patience, but I don't have any of that self-control. The reason Paul writes it as one fruit is he says, you can know if you've grown in your maturity if all of the fruit is growing. So if you still lack self-control, there's still something that you have not yet surrendered to Jesus as the full Lord of your life. So what he's saying is to move from that chair to this chair is as you go through stages and you start to grow in your maturity, you're going to have times of struggle. And those are the moments that are going to teach you and show you, do you really trust the Lord as your Lord? Or is he just somebody like a sugar daddy who just answers your prayer quickly, like a child who says, please just give me what I want and then I'll be happy. No, when you become mature, God gives you what you need. And you realize, oh, that's hard. But if you want to be a mighty oak tree, it takes seasons of growth. It takes time to keep maturing year after year. Or you could be a mighty squash. 
<laughs> squash, squash, they just, they grow in one season and they're just, but they're just kind of disgusting. You know, they're, well, you eat them. I guess they're kind of tasty if you eat them right, you know, but they're, there's nothing to, like a mighty oak, the winds that are coming, the weather report says there's some winds coming over the next couple of days and the mighty oak stands firm and strong. Why? Because it's had seasons of resistance and it's grown through all the tough. See, and some of you are just going through a tough time right now and you say, I can't hang on. I'm telling you, these moments that we're going through as a people are making us mature in Christ. I'll talk about all these a little bit more in just a second, but let me come to this fourth chair. The, the fourth chair of people that are a part of our congregation, this may sound strange, but you'll, I hope you hear me. These are people who are not here yet, but God is tapping them on the shoulder to come here. We always want to be a congregation that is ready for the person we've not met yet. We always want to be a congregation that says we want to be open and available for anyone who is um, really thirsty. This is what Jesus said. Listen to how he words it in John 7, 37. Let all who are thirsty come to me and drink. Let all who are thirsty... Do you, do you know when Jesus said these words? This is in John, John 7. He said these words during a Jewish festival. A family get-together. A family party in Jerusalem. And he stands up to this group of people who had their... In, you want to talk about an inside club. If you ain't Jewish, you ain't a part of what we're doing right now. This is a Jewish party. And Jesus stands up in the party and he says... Let anyone who is thirsty come. Well, who, who's thirsty? Well, everybody eventually gets thirsty. What is Jesus saying here? Everybody is welcome to be here. The liar, the thief, the cheat, the gossiper, the greedy, the one who slanders your reputation, the person who steps on you to get ahead. Everyone is welcome, Jesus is saying. Which means that's why we do what we do as a church. We continue to keep our doors open to say all are welcome. This is a group of people that we think about. When we put together an experience where we say, okay, we're going to put this, we're going to have a Bible study and we want to make sure that we hit different topics so that it can attract people who yet have not been here. We always want an open seat at the table. And so these, we, we know there's many of us in this room right now or watching online who are seeking. We know that there's some immature. We know that there's some mature. But we also know in, in our mind we, we should be praying for and connecting with people who have not yet stepped into this ministry. And that is good. I want to ask you this question uh, about your sharing your faith with people. When was the last time you've invited someone into in, into church and just say hey just come 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 with me did you know that when people are invited uh, like by your elbow you, you grab them you know you kind of bring it you can't touch people right now I understand <laughs> but when you invite somebody in people are most prone to stay when they've been invited and they have a connection to somebody else 
Do you realize that your, your invitation, there are some people that I'm convinced that are willing to come to church simply if asked. And so there is a part of our congregation who is not yet a part of this congregation. This is a fourth chair kind of person. I want to ask you the question of your desire to share your faith and to invite someone into the church family. Um, do you have a desire to share? Because if you don't have a desire to share, I ask, has your thirst been quenched? Because if you have a connection with the Lord, you can't not talk about it. When I was in uh, like 14 or 15 years old, a friend and I, we were um, doing one of these kind of nerdy things where we were on a moped and um, I was just riding on the back of the moped because we had no other transportation. Kind of embarrassing, frankly. <laughs> and we get to this part where there's four lanes that are going on this road and, and we come to this one spot and I jump off the back and I go to run across the lanes. There's no traffic coming this way, but there was this big semi-truck coming in the third lane so I said, I'm fast, I'll get ahead of that, no big deal. And I ran as fast as I could, totally beat the truck, not even worried about that. What I didn't know was there was a van on the other side of the truck just going much faster. And before I know it, as I'm in the fourth lane, just about to get to the sidewalk, I hear screech! And I have nothing in my spirit to know what to do but to just jump. So I jumped up and I landed on the bumper and I, I surfboard across the, 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 the rest of the, the skid marks and I'm riding like my face is plastered against the windshield and I come to a screeching halt and I roll off and I get off and I dust myself off and I stand over here. I mean, my adrenaline, it was the scariest moment of my life. I couldn't talk, stop talking about that story. I just talked and talked and talked about that story to all my friends and I mean as I survived it. Why? Because it had such a profound impact on my life. You see, you talk about situate, you talk about moments that have changed you. You tell stories about moments when you've been impacted by something that was a dramatic moment in your life. And so I'm just curious if, if you haven't had a desire to share, is, is the Lord really... Are you, are you feeling the growth and the connection and the depth that he wants to impact you? In other words, has your thirst been quenched? Have you really felt Jesus impact your life? And so the beauty of what we see around this table is that we have a complex church. And there's a lot of wonderful messiness and wonderful opportunities and we're loaded with a, a great gift of complexity of relationships and ministry opportunities, ministry to one another, ministry to people we haven't met yet, ministry to people who are still seeking. I mean, there's all sorts of beautiful dynamics around this table. Now, you heard me say in the beginning, I want to talk about five different groups of people we want to reach. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> where, where is the, the other person? Where's the other chair? This is what heart check is all about, the fifth chair. This fifth chair, I believe, is why the church is going to flourish and has flourished through all the crises we've been through in history. The fifth chair is, I believe, the, the sheer heart and mission of God. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, the fifth chair are those who will never come 
to Watermark Wesleyan. The fifth chair are people who are, well, far away from the local church. This is what Heart Check is about. Heart Check is not about any of those people around that table. The fifth chair are people, there are 7.6 billion people on planet Earth today. Let's just say 7.5999999 billion people will never step foot in McKinley, Bayview, South Creek, Springville, McKinley. These sites that we own, this ministry that we're a part of, is just a part of the beautiful gift of God. What I love about COVID is that it has challenged each one of us to realize that the church in many ways has left the building. The majority of our church are really watching online still. It's, I love the, seeing you in person. I'm nervous about the Western New York spikes happening and so every moment I get to be with real people and human connection, I just love you guys and I'm so grateful for these moments. But the church really has always been not about a building but about every one of us being the church in the world. And why I believe God has so blessed Heart Check has been because we understand it's never been about us. The reason we've had such a profound impact in this world is because we realize that this world and Jesus connecting with this world is more about the fifth chair than any of those chairs there. I love every person around every, and all those seats around that table, absolutely. I love the connecting points. I love doing life and ministry together. I love the things that we learn together. I love how we grow and mature and go through the struggle together. But this world is fleeting and it's temporary. And this world is desperately in need of a savior. And the only way that we're going to see the world transformed is if every single one of us realizes that sometimes the only church that some people will ever experience, the only testimony of Jesus Christ, the only sermon some people will ever hear will come from your life. I was uh, on a Zoom call earlier this week and uh, heard from a guy who said, um, when I realized that I am the church in the world, when I realized that there are some people who will never know the Lord Jesus Christ and the story of God, if not me getting a relationship and building a relationship with them, when I realized that, it completely shifted my eyes and my mindset to see the world differently for the rest of my life. He said, the people who once annoyed me at work, and there were many, now are incredible opportunities of being the church to people who desperately need Jesus Christ. There are so many people walking around us every single day who are desperately scared because of COVID, desperately scared because of mental health issues. The, on the survey we're going to talk about tomorrow night, the number one issue in our church, and mo- many of us, we know there's some seekers, we know there's still people growing, but we've had a lot of really strong, mature believers. Our number one issue that we're concerned about 
mental health. If we in the church are struggling in a, in a building, a ministry where we're connected and hearing the gospel every week and we're growing in, in Christ, if we're worried about mental health issues, imagine somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. You are on mission every single day. When we gather in the church, it's a chance for us to just be able to, to learn and grow and discover and, and uh, experience the fullness of the Lord so we can be filled up to go and be sent again. I want to read to pull this all together. One, just one, uh, two quick verses. They won't be on the screen. I just want to read them to you from, uh, um, from Luke chapter 10. When Jesus sent out the 72... I want to just show you how he asks us to be missionaries. He sent these people out and he said, verse 5 of chapter 10, When you enter a house, first say to, that house, to those people, Peace be with you. Then he goes on, down to verse 8, When you enter a town, heal anyone who is sick. And then tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Notice the order there. He tells us to first bring peace to the people you're around and then to bring any kind of healing. Can I bring you a cup of water? Can I, can I help you with your, uh, any babysitting needs at your house? Can I, can I help you with your uh, groceries? Can I help serve you? That's really what this is getting at. Can I, can I just join your life and help lift you up in life? Then... They will trust you and you have a chance to share Jesus Christ with them. I think so many people are just afraid to share their faith because they're afraid of the questions that will come. They're, you're, not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be the judge and jury. You're supposed to just be the witness. You're not the lawyer who's supposed to build a case for Jesus Christ being the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're just supposed to testify and be a witness. And if you first, like he said, bring peace to people and then... Heal them, bring life, lift them up and encourage them. And then they will ask, what is it about your life that is so different from mine? Then you have a chance just to talk about how Jesus has impacted your life. When that happens, the world will never be the same again. When the church truly continues to leave the building every single day, and is the, is the church around the world for every single day of your life, You'll never lack for significant life. You'll never lack for uh, purpose and meaning in your life because you're on the mission Jesus called you to. And it kind of goes back to what I talked about in the fourth chair. If you struggle to share your faith, I wonder, have you yet understood the gravity of who Jesus is? And if, he, if he, you haven't yet given him your life, repent of your sin and say, Jesus, come into my life. And, and really, we've talked heavily about this, give your life to him. And when you do, you'll be forever transformed. So heart check is, um, I believe we've been so faithful and God has been so filling us with blessing as a church because we've understood this as a church. That it's never been about us building our table bigger. It's always been about us giving our lives away. I joked a few weeks ago about, um, uh, you know, if we were to keep the $12 million we've given away over, these decade, over this decade, if we were to keep this $12 million we've given away and then the money we're going to give this time, we would have been able to build recliner chairs for all of you. We could have built a hologram here. Like I could be in 3D hologram. We could do state-of-the-art everything. We would never have a leaky roof. We would have everything pristine, pristine across the board. 
Then I said, we could have water slides into the kids' wing. And then I just made a quick joke. Uh, we could call ourselves Water Park Wesleyan and get a name issue then. And then we're good, Water Park Wesleyan. So my son sent me this picture the next day. Now, this is what our church could look like. <laughs> that would be perfect. You got a water slide right outside our building. But as a, uh, as, as a church, um, we have never been about ourselves. We want to be about them. And that's what Heart Check is. And we have a chance to keep giving in this way. So go on the website. I'm going to do it this week. I promise I'll do my pledge, just like many of us still have to do that. And uh, we'll be able to bless the world abundantly. Because I think about Orchard Park Wesleyan 63 years ago. They could have hoarded their money. They could have hoarded their people and stayed in Orchard Park. But they said, no, we feel a calling to plant a church in Hamburg. And their ministry forever forever multiplied way beyond anything it could have had they stayed internally focused. So we want to minister to East Aurora. We have a dream of that. We want to minister in the Congo, in India. We want to go after all the downtown Buffalo projects. I received uh, and got a chance to read an email from uh, Myron Glick of Jericho Road this week. And he shared in there the, the terrible crisis of COVID that is happening to Jericho Road right now. And as they've been a partner ministry and their, their overseas partner ministry with us that we're funding and helping to pour into. He said, this is going to be devastating over the coming months. And what we're seeing with a spike, and they're a partner. We got to help them. We are here for them. And, uh, and at the end, he said, we're all in, and we're going to fight this together, even if it costs us everything. That's the church leaving the building. That's us being in ministry with and among other believers around the world. And that's why I love what we do as a, heart check, as a people who go after heart check, where we check our heart and say, how is it with our soul? And as for how it goes with our church, our soul is good and worthy of praising our Savior. And so I know this is dramatic looking at all these, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, all these chairs and around the table and stuff. But um, when it comes right down to it, I just want your life to be filled with uh, being connected with and used by God in such powerful ways. And so I want to pray over us right now and I want to just thank God for this heart check season. Next weekend we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving together. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be so good. And uh, we'll have a lot to thank God for. There's no doubt about it. Because we understand this world's not about us. And it just makes more sense to give our lives away. So I want to pray over us and, and thank you uh, and thank the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for just the, a life of generosity, a life of um, the complexity of ministry. As we realize all the people that we are to, trying to reach in this world, as this church is filled with all types of people, it's amazing when we come together and we focus on the rest of the world and we give beyond ourselves that's when life just makes sense and so God I just pray that we will continue to uh, abundantly say yes to you in all aspects of our lives I thank you for all the partner ministries I thank you for the, the complexity of their ministries just like we have a complex ministry here and yet it all is so very simple we lean on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and you sustain us and you fill us to overflowing. And so Lord, I just want to bless your name and say thank you. 
for the gift of being a part of what you're doing in this world. And in some ways now, I just pray a commissioning blessing over each one of the missionaries in this room and the missionaries online that we will continue to be on point sharing our faith with the world in tangible and loving ways. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.